I look at my watch, it's 3.14 Oh no, not another bathroom to be seen Can't count how many if you know what I mean Can't count how many toilets I've seen Pour the potty ladies room and rolls of TP Unwind through my mind, making me crazy I know this gig can't really do me no harm But I need to get this freaky watch off of my arm Cause if I see another stall, another bathroom hall I'm bound to go at wall and dial my last call To that nasty mystic dude who had me up all night He told me I'll figure it out when the time is right Welcome back everybody to the uh, latest edition of the uh, Gorilla Filmmakers Lounge I'm Clint and I'm here with Nick Hello Steve Hey And our special guest, Mike Hayata Hi Alright Nick, uh Hi. <laughs> that was great. It was very, very European of you. Trying to mix it up. Trying to mix it up. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, the 48-hour guerrilla film competition is uh, what the uh, this podcast is all about. And uh, industry news and just stuff that we like and find fun and interesting. And uh, But specifically, we wanted to uh, uh, start off with a couple of the questions that have been coming through to clarify some uh, some concerns about time zones for hey. those of you who are entering. Yeah, absolutely. We've been getting a few questions uh, via the website and the Facebook about <clears throat> how the time zones work. Essentially, teams are wondering, like, if I'm in Spain or if I'm in the West Coast, how does that affect my 48-hour time period? Uh, the answer is pretty simple. Um, on the 13th, when you go to the website and you enter or you press start, your, 40, your personal 48 hours begins. So it doesn't matter where you are at. You have 48 hours to make your film. So... That's how it works. Hopefully that clears that up and everybody is able to follow that. It doesn't matter if I started three hours ahead of you or you start three hours behind me. We each have 48 hours to make. Sure. Yeah. Fair uh, enough. Makes, makes, makes perfect sense to me. And uh, we've been doing uh, fairly well. Got some more teams signing up. Absolutely. Uh, making progress. A lot, of new, uh, a lot of new people from all over the world. And uh, seems like this is truly now a global guerrilla film competition. Absolutely. Which we beyond our wildest ex- expectations. Yeah, it's awesome. It's going yeah. great. Um, um, you to talk a little bit about um, Mike and why Mike's here? Yeah, let's talk about Mike. Yeah, why is Mike here? Yeah, why is Mike here? <laughs> Mike, we didn't ask you to talk. We're going to talk about you. No. Mike why? is another GFC success story. No. no. <laughs> no. Incidentally, why is Mike here is the title of my upcoming book. That's <laughs> Auto- your autobiography. <laughs> Uh, no, Mike's a former uh, um, uh, contestant in the 48 GFC, and he's uh, on, the t- on, the, on the creative team now. And uh, someone's waving to me through the window. It's odd. Um, and uh, Mike, you want to talk a little bit about your experience in your first year and, and kind of yeah, how sure. you came to get involved with this crazy thing? Well, um, you know, I actually started with the GFC the second year it was going, uh, or I would call it the first good year. No offense, Steve. And <laughs> that, that, that did hurt, actually. Cuts like a knife. So um, actually, uh, my friend was working at, at Burns Court Cinemas, which is downtown Sarasota, and he told me about this, uh, this kind of wacky film competition that someone had dropped a flyer off in the theater for, and he didn't really know what he was doing, but he thought it sounded really exciting. And uh, I had just gotten back from uh, New York Film Academy, and uh, he told me that no matter what, this had to be done, and we had to uh, get to it. And of course... Back then, uh, before the internet was invented, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of information to find or whatever, so it was really a lot more underground, which uh, really speaks to its roots. Um, and uh, got who, a, was, who was working at the Film Commission before you? I mean, the Film, the, the film Society, sorry. Well, uh, the person who coordinated with the GFC was uh, Majida Dio. Oh, what I like to call the good uh, <laughs> oh, I see. employee. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, it's a long way for a joke, oh, I know, but... Uh, oh, jeez, okay. Oh. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> Anyway, got it. Okay. 
So, um, well, actually, we'll go back to Majida and we'll talk about <laughs> Before Me and the um, specially challenged prison babies. Uh, but as Nick likes to talk Absolutely. So, I'm sorry. We'll get back on topic. So the, the point is, is we grabbed a team. We had a good actor friend of mine who was a roommate of mine in college uh, named Jay, and I pulled a few friends down from Tampa, and um, a good friend of mine named, named Robbie, and we entered with a really kind of terrible black and white noir film for our first year, having no idea what to expect for Called. the competition. Uh, good Morning, I Love You, Goodbye, nice. which was the uh, top choice of title. Uh, second place was Cold Rolled Steel, nice. neither of which nice. had anything to do with the story. And, um, you know, and, and we lost handily. <laughs> that was for Buff- to Buffalo Buffalo? Well, no, you won that year. Wait, no. Yeah. No, I, oh, no, I oh, no, you Buffalo. won. I remember you. Yeah, no, you. Oh, you were second year. Yeah, second year. No, that was, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm right. sorry. I forgot. Well, who won first year? Uh, um, Biscuits of Eastwood. Oh, Biscuits, Biscuits okay, of Eastwood. Okay, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. All right. All so, right. but that's also the first time I ever saw Clint because I have to tell you, there was this, you know, at the end of the, the guerrilla film competition is one of the most fun parts, which is because uh-huh. all of the teams who don't have access to a lot of this great equipment and so forth, they're all running and driving and speeding down the road because they all had to get to this physical, really cool building in downtown Sarasota. D3 is where the drop-off was. Yep. And, um, you know, and so we're sitting there, we're, you know, Robbie is my friend, he's driving the truck, running red lights and everything else like that, and we're rushing to get there in time because, you know, you're not there at the precise moment, you're disqualified. And uh, he finally, like, flies up under the curb, and I jump out of a moving vehicle and run in, and there's this guy there with no sweat anywhere, totally made up, and I think in a suit. I might be inventing that, but no, we're going to make suit. it a more interesting story. And uh, he's holding Tuxedo t-shirt, a whole maybe. DVD <laughs> with, with cover art. <laughs> that is true. You did have cover we art. We had cover art. <laughs> and, like, a, it was... It was outrageous and everyone and I remember all these other people I don't know who they are but we were all talking about this guy who's over in the corner with his little DVD with cover art like oh if that guy had time to do this film really suck it's gonna be the worst film ever oh man it's all of us with these like sweaty blood-stained old DVD tapes are gonna clean up and then of course uh, to our chagrin we find out later that their film not only won but was indeed legitimately the best film that year <laughs> well but <laughs> I don't know that it <laughs> Well, as much as that that strokes my ego, I don't I don't think it was the best film. I think we had the the best visual quality, but our story was not anywhere close to. I mean, yeah, Buffalo, I mean, Buffalo, 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 or whatever that was. That was pretty cool. That was yeah. awesome. I but, like uh, Buffalo, but but so that was our first year. Uh, we came back in the second year with a uh, somewhat end up being an infamous. legendary, like to the point. <laughs> your second second film was so legendary that. In subsequent years, it's, other teams referred back to it and referenced, referenced it, it in absolutely. their films. We did get a reference. That was and so you guys, and you one upped us big time. You had your own theme song, and it was like <laughs> professionally done. That, it was, that was that was really which fun. played in the opening uh, credits of, of this show, so you were able to hear that. We uh, we filmed. It, it was bad because uh, our team from the first year, you know, we had this uh, fantastic guy who, uh, you know, we just called him the uh, the gaffer. And uh, he did everything for us, and he moved to Orlando. And we had this other super talented guy who uh, was AC, and his name is Nate Cochran, and he was in Tampa, and he couldn't come down. And uh, you know, and then we also had our friend Jay, but he's only an actor, so we had a two-man crew. So it's actually a, a pretty good GFC story, actually. We only had two people to film this entire thing. We weren't even going to enter. 
And so finally we said, well, how can we come up with a story that, you know, just one of us is on camera and one of us is in front of the camera and, like, how do we tell the story? And uh, we were begging Nate to come down because he's such a talented guy. And he said, I can't come down, but here's what I will do for you. Send me a spec script, and at the end of 30 hours, I'm going to send you a file pack of MP3s that I will custom make nonstop working here from Tampa for your film including one super special surprise bonsai mystery song. And we were like, okay, we have no idea what the, any of that means, and we don't know if Nate's even going to come up with anything, so we had no soundtrack for the whole movie. We ended up shooting this little film, which was titled teleport a Potty, about a, uh, a guy who finds a, or a, a guy who's given a, a wristwatch, which magically adheres to his, um, his wrist, and every day at 314 he teleports to a random location until he can... A random bathroom, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, a random bathroom until he can, hence the name, until he can finally figure out how to, uh, how to take it off. And so, of course, he gets in all sorts of shenanigans, and, and finally he reaches a very 1980s conclusion where he jumps for joy and so forth and so on. But at the end, we get this file in from Nate that includes an awesome soundtrack. A blistering soundtrack. I mean, it was just a great fit for this little awful short film. And then we find out what the mystery song is. And it is this epic, really long rap song. That tells like the whole story. It does. And, and then embellishes a lot of it. Because he hadn't seen any of the footage. He hadn't seen the final script. We just had sent him a quick outline. I mean, we didn't have time to dawdle. Obviously, yeah. only have 48 hours to put this thing together. And we only had a two-man crew. Uh, and it's just this, uh, uh, like, you know, I, I can only compare it to the, uh, the turtle rap from uh, Secret of the Ooze. Oh go yeah, go ninja, go ninja, go. <laughs> Where they kind of tell the story. Ninja, of the what about what didn't when Bobby Brown did Ghostbusters too? Now I Was guess it? we're gonna have to take control. Yeah, yeah, you know it. Wow. Exactly. You know, it was that good. I still have it on my I iPhone. It, I can say it without bragging because I had nothing to do with making this song. We'll play the whole song at, when we leave at the, the show, at we, the end of the show. We but were so sad it's awesome. because it was so long. We couldn't even play the whole thing in the time limit of the short film. We had to actually ask him to remix a truncated version. So, so you could get it in the credits and all that. Exactly, right? right. Well, and that was the only place it really fit because we didn't want to distract from the... Uh, from the film by playing something with lyrics. Although in retrospect, I almost wish we had done it over the montage, maybe. Well, that, well, in the uh, the film itself actually plays that year, right? You guys won an award, I believe. Well, what I remember, and I could be wrong because I wasn't had anything to do with the judging, but what I was told was we ended up coming in third. Yep. And what I was told was that it was a tie between second and first. That's right. And yep. then they <clears throat> and then we were one point behind that, and so. Second right, and exactly. first had to be decided, and then we got yeah. third. Yep, so, but absolutely. It, so in the end, we, you know, it was it was close. I guess we lost. We ended yeah, up actually, I mean, that was, yeah, absolutely. That was a really tight year. Well, and and, and I think that that speaks to to two two things about the JFC that that keep coming up year after year, which is one of which is teams seem to identify their strengths early on and if they don't they'll definitely get it the second time around and then they play to those strengths really really hard and right. we try to reward that right. and we're getting better with our awards every year we're trying to make sure that everyone who, you know it, you might not have the best equipment but maybe you have this awesome sound guy or there's a good effect thing that you can do or that whatever it is that your team can bring to the table right. we encourage you to like blow that up 
And Possibly then, you have some street performers or maybe a mime. Some type of maybe a mime. We, maybe we need to roll out a mime award. It could be a mime award, best miming. That'd be awesome. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is that... Maybe that'll uh, be a genre this year. Well, we try to weight it. We, mime we, film. We try to... Mime um, in distress. We try to make sure that that those types of things are, are accounted for in the judging. And Mike is actually um, building the rubric for our judges, are you not? Yes, this year? yes, I am. And can you talk a little bit about how, now that you're on the creative team, how you approach that? Sure. Um, and <laughs> I'll start by saying that one of my early problems, and it was only because we weren't winning first place every year, was with the rubric of the GFC. Um, the, the rubric has traditionally really rewarded originality, which is fantastic. But as the panel of judges grows, and as uh, more and more talented people come in to look at these films, um, it really, I feel like, needs to start to accommodate for some of the very select, specific, um, you know, qualities of these films, like you were just saying. I mean, we see films sometimes with some amazing special effects that you can't even believe someone was able to do in 48 hours. Absolutely. And it's really difficult for somebody who's a freshman in high school who's just getting his feet wet to feel as though he can come out and compete against that. So we want to also uh, have the ability to reward them if they tell a fantastic story or if they had an awesome acting job or something like that. You know, So everybody can actually let those individual talents show. So when we construct the rubric this year, I think we're going to be putting a focus, a heavy focus on each component of the film because there are, I mean, you know, you've got, and it's not just the Academy Awards divisions, but, right. you know, everything from acting to soundtrack to how you implement your line of dialogue, I think we'll go in yep, there. Yep. And, mm-hmm. um, Editing and, technique. So, and yeah, exactly. you get a random line of dialogue as part of the film. <clears throat> the, the reality is, is some teams use it as a throwaway. And they just go, oh, well, I, I did. Exactly I, threw, right. I threw it away. And then you get probably... <laughs> I did. It was the last line in the whole thing, and, and I just threw it away. And then you get probably yeah. the most difficult line of dialogue we've ever had, which was buffalo, 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 which is actually a grammatically correct right. sentence. And they, just, and they actually structured their whole film around it. Right. And, and that was the work. Exactly. Yeah, and so you know, right, that's, an exact, that's exactly right. So actually, by reforming the rubric and by really putting a lot of thought into this rubric, even if you're competing against somebody with some mind-boggling, matrix-challenging special effects, the rubric will actually put you higher in those areas where you already have... Can we just call it the Kubrick? The Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah, Hyper Kubrick. The Stanley Rubric. Yeah, the Stanley (laughs) Rubric. There you go. Rubric 2, Hyper Kubrick. And when when you talk about this, you're not just... um, building the rubric because you're awesome at building rubrics. Talk a little bit about your, uh, well, Mike is also the artistic director of the Sarasota Film Society. In addition to being uh, a filmmaker and a writer, Uh, talk a little bit about your background so that people understand why you might be the one who's, who's best suited for this type of thing. Um, Sure. So what I do with the, uh, the day job that makes the money, the Joe job as well. (laughs) I always have this philosophy where you have the day job that makes the money and then you have the passion which sucks the money right back out and you end up at a sort of balanced equilibrium. Um, The day job is uh, I work as the artistic director for the Sarasota Film Society. Sarasota Film Society is where the GFC has traditionally screened all of the films. Um, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but all of the entries definitely get to go see on the big screen, which Which is an ongoing partnership. I can just tell you is one of the greatest moments of my life, as as mundane as it sounds, was the first time I ever saw a film that I made on a big screen in front of an audience of people who didn't know me and watching them laugh when they were supposed to laugh and 
cry when they were supposed to cry. I never got into that. Yeah, when, the, so, when they don't get up and leave, it is. Well, awful. right. It's, a, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's exhilarating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so that's where it works. Sarasota Film Society is a large nonprofit organization um, that runs a few movie theaters uh, in Sarasota. And one of the things that we do is put on a large film festival called the Cineworld Film Festival in November. Uh, which is actually a really big film festival. We get over 10,000 people there. One of the things we're working on this year is to put um, the top probably five to ten films, depending on the entries, right into that Center World Film Festival and get them further exposure, which will be fantastic. The top five to ten GFC And just films. to give you an idea of this this film festival, I mean, you know, it's like I, I always go to this because it's an easily recognized film, but, yeah. you know, Black Swan, which won tons of awards and got a lot of buzz this year, um, you know, we played Black Swan months before it even came out in theaters. And you went to, uh, you scouted all this stuff at Toronto when you were programming the festival and, and working on Exactly. That. So that's, so going back so to the So Mike is very qualified when Going it back comes to your original to question, you know, a lot of what I do is programming. Is I find films that look good that I think are going to match with uh, the correct demographic of our festival and a lot of times our year-long exhibition and... Uh, and bring them in. And so, yes, yeah, so, so this is partially what I do for a living. <laughs> Let's, um, if we can, just back up slightly. Sure, sure. That's what I'm used to doing. That's what I, my role in every podcast is be you like, moonwalk, back up a moment. You moonwalk through Who's life. Who's the Michael Nick? Jackson? We got Going back to Teleporter Potty, um, yeah. I, I want to touch on this a little bit because one of the cool things I think about uh, you and your project and your involvement and all that stuff is like it didn't kind of end with the GFC. So you've kind of continued to explore that idea about this teleporting watch and it's evolving into different things and you've... Yeah, it's been a... Uh, you you're can you're writing a, a book, right? You could, right, right. Uh, you could call it a long-going passion or you could call it a monkey on the back that won't get off. But uh, either way, you know, Teleporter Potty has gone through a lot of iterations. Um, it started, there's this short film it had this, as you guys were talking about, this utterly bizarre quality that just led people to think that the concept was <laughs> interesting. And um, Well, it is. It is. Yeah. That's and, why. It's <laughs> just awesome. <laughs> we tried to uh, reform it in a couple different ways. One was a bit overly ambitious of trying to stretch it out to a feature film. Uh, I think there was enough story there, obviously, if, with tweaking from the short film. But, um, and, you know, and another thing was a, an animated... Uh, pitch piece for Cartoon Network, yep. which actually did pretty well and came out superbly well. And I definitely have to give accolades to you guys at the table who were involved with it as well. And, um, and you know, but <laughs> at some point, as any creative work does, it, it can get frustrating uh, when you just can't really get your foot in a door. And so what I decided to do was <clears throat> actually take the story, which had developed quite a bit, and turn it into a novel, which is kind of a late teen adventure novel. And, 1,800 um, pages long. 1,800 pages long. Leather bound. <laughs> yeah. In, in human flesh. In human flesh. Made yeah. at a time when the seas run red with human blood. That's right. actually a pretty good <laughs> That was account. my query letter, actually. Um, so it took me about a year to, uh, to get the, the book done. And uh, unfortunately, there's, there's not the success story from it just yet. I mean, we're guessing yeah, we're hoping the, that way. But so where is I you know I queried it out to if anyone's familiar with the process I mean when you finish a manuscript generally you query and send summaries out to large agencies and almost all of them tell you no without even looking at it and you go into the slush pile um, I had a couple really uh, solid responses got the full manuscript requested a few times and uh, where it is right now is I have a, a very big um, literary agency in New York interested who wanted a couple changes made to the beginning and uh, asked me to put it through a pro editor and resubmit so that... But the cool thing on. is, I mean, I mean, for our purposes, in, in a sense, you know, this is an idea that you basically were 
forced to create in a sense on the spot. Right. And no, yet that's true. the creative, just... the creative spark that kind of came out of that has sort of continued to grow and ember. And yeah, you've continued to work with people Which and is meet people. Really fantastic. And, and so, uh, exactly. So it's, it's not there yet, but where it is right now is it's, you know, it's being edited as I was telling you before by Stephen King's first editor, which that's is really awesome. cool. And Very as soon cool. as that's done in another month, um, literary agent has asked me to send it back so that she can start, Sending it to publishers and so forth. So it's not there yet, and I don't want to jinx it. But the point is, is going back to what we're talking about from the GFC. It's a great example of something that started small, although I don't want to call it small. It was actually the the purest form of where that idea came out. You know, it's the first time. Does that, that uh, does it sting, Nick? That it. something he came up with in like a couple of minutes is better than any idea you've ever had and thought about <laughs> and mulled over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it hurts me too. Yeah. <laughs> We're all just frustrated creatives who never <laughs> found success, so we we just started a contest so we can watch other people lose, yeah, yeah, or give them the opportunity to win. I, we have a lot of GFC success stories. Yeah. What we do is we Actually, make dreams come true, one, uh, and then we take a percentage and, of your and, success. And I'll jump in here and tell a fun. <laughs> I'll jump in here and tell a, a funny story uh, that has to do with Mike and a film you made. I think the second or third year you competed. Um, your genre was grind. I'm going to give you my telling of the story. All right. <clears throat> your genre, uh, was grindhouse trailer, as I recall. And yes. you essentially made, um, a film called coming soon, which is on the website. If people want to go check it out and you made a double feature trailer, which was really cool. And it was, uh, zombie nerf gun Holocaust was one of them. As I recall, oh, yeah. don't remind me, but okay. That was awesome. <laughs> and there was a ninja one in there that I can't remember the it name was of the called, ninja one. Uh, what was the line in that movie that was so good? It was like you were you had the zombie nerf gun like super nerf gun. Oh right, with the where they lit lights the nerf bolt on fire. And someone explains like how amazingly powerful this gun is and then you're like that's amazing or something <laughs> like what was that line? So this is what your new tweet down nerf gun looks like. Did you say 200 times as powerful? Uh, you can't remember. You wrote it. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just off time. Regardless, so you, I've tried to block this film from my memory. What was the ninja one? I think it was well. Because it was, was a double feature. What was the? Uh, uh, oh, geez. I just anyway, can't check it on the website. But the that year was the first year we introduced the idea that the most views on YouTube was going to be the People's Choice Award, and there was a little bit of controversy because, mm. and we. You know, you got accused of somehow being able to rig YouTube, which uh, your answer... I love that. Your, oh, I'm a super hacker. Your answer, your answer to that was, yeah. if that was true, every single one of my films would have like a million views. <laughs> and <clears throat> you if know. you look, that's not the case. Yeah, so you had a film and it, it for our competition, within a week right. it got 10,000 views and it like in a landslide yeah. killed everything else. Because you got picked up on the homepage of YouTube, right? Yeah, weirdly. I don't know if they still do this, but at the top of YouTube at the time, they had yeah, they, a little section that said, videos being watched now. And yeah. I don't know how it happened, but our video was it on stayed the, up there You got accused of pulling a Kobayashi Maru oh, we did. on this one. And everyone was <laughs> well, I, I think everybody was angry because the film wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it actually was. It actually was really entertaining, and the, you ended up winning the People's Choice Award because that was right. the stipulation that year. It was a lot of fun. The yeah. weird thing that year is you weren't the only team to get Grindhouse trailer. Another team did too, and they also made a double feature, which I just thought was the strangest. That was bizarre, but they actually won because they actually made something. Uh, they placed, something but they good. didn't. Uh, I, I don't think they won. No, I think they got third, third, second or third place. Yeah, and and they had uh, Mad Mormon Milkmen, and um, right. which was a great use of dialogue because their line of dialogue had to do with Mormons, and they actually. Structured their movie around. Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, lines of dialogue and genres and, and, and kind of how that 
gets decided because I think a lot of people have been curious about um, how exactly we come to select the lines of dialogue that we do. How does our genre system work? Can we go into that for a little bit? You guys, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, Steve, uh, why don't you start this because we've basically been following the how do we pick the lines of dialogue system and genre system that you started the very first year. Oh, you mean just totally random, write down whatever comes to your brain and then use that? Pretty much. <laughs> okay, I was just curious if, it, <laughs> That's if the that, that scientific system was still in place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Basically, we get as many people as we can come together to write. We always have to have more lines of dialogue and more right. genres than we are possibly going to have teams because we don't want any duplicates. You know, we have had years in the past where we've had a few duplicate genres because you just run out of genre, but we, we, we certainly can't have any duplicate lines of dialogue. Right. Um, and, you know, we try to come up with, you know, clever, interesting... Usually it revolves around a case or two of beer and a bunch of people in a room, a couple pizzas, and we pull an all-nighter. And yeah, we just, or, or we and, and throughout the the course of the year, I actually keep a little notebook and I'll jot down if I hear something that's really clever, or if I see something in a movie that works, I'll write it down and then I'll try to. Yeah, sometimes we'll use stuff from out. other films, you know, because it's you know, great line is a great line. There's right. nothing. It's wrong. Ju- it's just really there to to keep to give you a random element. So it's sort of irrelevant how we come up with it. It's just that we have it, and sometimes they're really weird and challenging, and sometimes they're easier. But it's. You, know. you did forget that final step, though, from just come up with whatever's on your brain. We do an intense filtering process. If you recall, last year what we did was we took all of the lines of dialogue and we printed them out, cut them up, and put them on the floor. Oh, yeah. And then we were like, okay, just grab six that you like. And I just remember like going through the floor and grabbing them, and then we just threw the rest away and... All our lines of dialogue are are, uh, cold-filtered. Meticulously... (laughs) To preserve the flavor. Chosen. Absolutely. And the, and the genres... Genres we, is really interesting. The genres honestly have really evolved over the course of the competition. Yeah. I mean, it, we started with the basics. Absolutely, Drama, yeah. sci-fi, Western. comedy, Western. I mean, it was really basic, broad genres. Now, over time, it's gotten more... We, we've sort of touched on this in the past. We've had yeah. like Sock Puppet and stuff like that. That We've been getting a little more specific. Um I think last year, and this should hopefully give you a clue of where we're going with it this year. Uh, Mike, why don't you kind of talk about what we did last year in terms of this sort of, you know, you got a message from the producers and like yada, yada, yada. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, you know, one of the important things I think about the GFC is giving everyone a unique and a fair um, experience. And so taking it away a little bit from just doing, well, you got comedy, you got drama, and these are genres that we found also a lot of competitors were basically just writing their entire film before even getting a genre and then just changing one or two little things and trying to get it in one of those broad genres. So we wanted to get rid of that while also offering a little more choice. So right. the first step in doing that was um, instead of just getting something like comedy, what we do now is we give you a, a broad genre and then two uh, subtypes from it. And the best way to explain it would be with an example. Uh, first one that comes to mind is your genre might be buddy movie. And then you get to choose between buddy cop or buddy road trip. And then what we do is we list a few films that are examples of those subgenres that we think are examples. So you of get kind of a sense of you what. You get a guy. That doesn't say rip this movie off, just in case you don't know what a buddy cop movie is. Well, for is. example, like well, a great example of that scenario playing itself out was uh, a Team Got 80s movie, right. which makes perfect sense to everyone in our age group. But then they were young enough that they didn't. They, they were, were honestly like, 
what the fuck are you talking about? Eighties movie? Do you what mean John Hughes? Mean? Do you mean Lethal they didn't even Weapon? know John Hughes? Right, I, no, I, I, I know, I know, but right. like it, you know, what did we mean? And, what did and, we mean? And we were like, well, I mean, it it was actually a critical thing, and they called and they were like, look, I don't know what to do. I don't know yeah, what, what this is. And we said, well, go watch, go look up John Hughes yeah. on IMDb. Pick anything, watch it. That's your '80s movie. I would have gone with like *On Golden Pond* or *Cocoon*. It's a movie that people <laughs> in their '80s. It's in their '80s. It's it's a geriatric film. We, we'll, we'll, we'll get it right next year. I love *On Golden Pond*. Oh, I just meant it's about I love *Cocoon*. I used Cocoon to watch the Return*. It. *Cocoon* also shot in Florida. Also, um, what, another movie featuring a lot of old people. Batteries not included. There was a lot of old ah, people. Yeah. In there. It takes yeah, place yeah. in Florida, right? I should. Yeah, I don't if know. It doesn't. If it doesn't, it does now. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, yeah, so if you get something that really throws you, we have a support structure in place to either save your bacon or at the very least bring you up to speed with what you need to do with the thing that you got. And part of your time you can actually put into research. Spend 90 minutes. Watch one of the movies that we recommend for you to really understand the genre that you got. And that's a totally legitimate use of your time. Yeah, because one of the, obviously, going back to the rubric we talked about earlier, one of the judging points is adherence to the genre. You know, if it did you, and, and by the way, that's not to say that you, you can certainly genre blend. We've touched on mm-hmm. that before. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you know, in fact, it's encouraged. But if you want to go ahead and, and, uh, you know, understand it from a judging perspective, you know, it has to qualify in the mind of the judge that, okay, yeah, they went, they, you know, it's in the realm of what we were talking about, you know? And, and in fairness to the team that freaked out when they got 80s movie, they nailed it. Like they, did, they not only they nailed did a really it, good job. but Absolutely. they just destroyed it. It was awesome. And they actually hated the film. And I thought everything about it was perfect. Like they just did they a really great perfect. job. Absolutely. That was hide and geek, right? Hide and geek. And it was really good. And if you go back and watch it, even they even, Threw a little jab at us in there at the end, where the last thing the guy says is, "I hate the '80s." Yeah, right. I was like, <laughs> I was like, guys, come on, that was good. But yeah. yeah, so yeah, they actually did do a great job. Uh, and did wait, I, 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 if we talked about it, I apologize, I might have missed it when I was up. But did we talk about Danger Bucket? No, nope. not yet. Actually, so so the first step was okay. taking is, the the yeah. core genres and saying, okay, well, let's make it so that there is a support structure, so there is some sense of choice. I mean, you can't get out from these two, but. Now, if both of those choices are just nothing that you want to do, then we do offer what we lovingly call the danger bucket. Now, the danger bucket is filled with not genres per se, but more like mandates for what your film has to include. And they vary wildly. Um, Sometimes you can still get a choice if it's a really tough uh, genre, but other times you just have to follow a certain set of rules. And usually we frame them... Uh, like mandates from a producer. Because right. as anyone who is any familiar with the industry is, you have lots of creative people, and then you have the people who fund your creativity, and the people who fund your creativity often have really horrible creativity-ruining suggestions because it's how they feel comfortable with spending their money. So, And um, for anyone who's wondering how that works, just go watch, what's the, was it College Humor, Grampires? Yes. What was that film? The, oh, that came out this week. It was great. Absolutely. Uh, when Harry Met Sally 2 is the search term. Was that, oh, Funny or it. Die? Was it's, it Funny or Die? Yes, it was unfair. I think it's, Funny or yeah. Die, yep. But just search for when, when Harry Met Sally 2. Yeah, that's a great thing for you to bring up because it's a perfect example. Of, of producers um, coming up with moronic hell. ideas. So, we, so we include that character. It. Now, yeah. when you take a danger bucket genre, you have to permanently choose to scrap 
the genre you drew first. So if you get the worst danger bucket ever, There's no going back. You're stuck. Trust me, it's true. Yes. <laughs> Actually, Steve, very, Steve had a personal yes, uh, encounter. Be, with be the very careful bucket. with the danger. Tell bucket. your danger bucket story. My danger bucket story. Well, the your danger bucket story starts with you thought you had the perfect plan. You right. had the perfect plan. It's a great yes, story. Yes, actually. I did. I have a six-year-old, well, five at the time. This is mm-hmm. a year ago. Uh, we figured we'd just, whatever we got, we'd ask him about it, let him just ramble on, because that kid can talk for an hour, and just write it down and make it into the goofiest movie ever, just a five-year-old's rambling. We drew a spy movie, sounded good, uh, decided, no, no, let's kick it up a notch, let's hit that danger bucket, <laughs> and got PG porn. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which was really, <laughs> and, and, really... My whole idea was out the window. And which, PG porn, by the way, if you recall, was specifically a, a porno-style movie with no porn. Yeah. Just the story. So we didn't have right. to make a dirty movie. Just a lot of innuendo and... Bad acting. With a five-year-old. Bad, well, the bad acting was easy. But the <laughs> and with your daughter. So yeah, this, and Nick's daughter was on our a team. A 15-year-old and a Yeah, that's awkward. And dude. just to show there's awkward. no nepotism, we did not win. Yeah. <laughs> yes, although actually, and I say this, it was a very, very good film. It was really funny, I thought. And you guys did way better than you think. Well, that's yeah. good. And again, and that goes was, back to yeah. our, our uh, just this is a good opportunity to, to talk about it one more time, is that for those of you who are listening, our judges panel is totally separate from this group. They are completely on their own when they judge these films. I mean, if our friends get into it or anything like that, we have no control over very it. Very true. At Absolutely. All. So we set up the the pins, but it's up to you guys to knock them down. The so, danger bucket, and danger it was actually a physical bucket. It was a children's sand bucket with, with stick, like Hello Kitty <laughs> with stickers Hello all Kitty over. stickers all over it. Yeah. Well, the original design for the danger bucket. I'm really hoping that we can get around to. Doing oh this year. yeah. And we won't spoil it, but if you do come to our uh, our opening party, if you're lucky enough to be in town for the for the physical kickoff, you'll we may have the danger bucket. It. Yeah, it'll make an appearance. You can get your photo <laughs> with the danger bucket. The danger bucket, be awesome. we'll it'll be definitely sell- appear. Selling on the prints for $5. yeah, we'll, we'll have a virtual danger bucket yeah, for sure too to, yeah. to match it up. So. Um, if we can just get some uh, animators in, if we can get that in 3D in Maya in the next couple of days. Yeah, be awesome. so write in with your. Uh... So you know, actually, in the danger bucket, the winner from last year had a danger bucket draw. And what the danger bucket, actually, first and second place were both from the danger bucket. First place, uh, the danger bucket was the producers called, there's not enough budget for the actors you requested, and so you can make any film you want. However, 50% or more of the dialogue has to be spoken by inanimate objects, either or animals. Right. (laughs) So you either had to do it with, and they had chosen to make a talking car, and they made a fantastic film. Now, the other one was a mashup between. Forrest Gump and Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> they did a great job. They made a film called I, Star Gump. I, and I love that they essentially... Actually, you know what? That wasn't really that what they did. Their actual... Because um, I, I went back to the tape and watched this the other day. Yeah. That, they did. They made it a mashup. Their actual challenge was oh, just no, to I'm make. Oh no! I'm so sorry. You're right, right. Their challenge was just to reshoot Forrest Gump or Star Wars in ten minutes or less because of the short and they attention. They asked if they could do both. Yeah, they were crazy. Yeah, they were like, "Well, can we just do both?" And so, oh, you're the, right. That was the, the danger bucket. So, category. so the original danger bucket <laughs> category was the producer called, and we we've done studies and saw that like Americans have short attention spans. So now you have to remake a, a classic film in ten minutes or less, right? Right. Well, they were like, "Screw that! Let's just do." 
both, do both and the they <laughs> they conceived of this idea called yeah. movie mashup cinema, you know, which was to even accelerate our idea even further. Like people's attention spans are really so short. Let's they just combine two films into even one. Even more dangerous. Absolutely, living on living and on. And I remember some. I'm trying to remember some of the other danger buckets that didn't get drawn. I think one of them, which was which was yours, was. Uh, the producer just left a note on your desk. You have no idea what it means, and it only reads one word: marshmallow. <laughs> I think that was mine. <laughs> that was mine. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I uh, oh, we have a, a an email here. I have to change gears real quick because we got a uh, email question from Jay in Red Bank, and Jay wants to know what do you guys think about China banning time travel movies. Ooh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he says time travel, but yeah, let's talk a little yeah, bit about so that. That's the, an interesting yeah, that story in, this that week. That was in the news, what, yesterday, Mike? Yeah, you were talking about Thanks, Jay. Uh, for the, uh, what's the, Steve, what's the back, back story? What's the backstory? Oh, uh, China ban, uh, banned time travel movies because of the comedic way that they deal with historical events. Right. Wait, and, huh? Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, when they're making these time travel movies, they're making stuff up in the past. Serious history. Reinterpreting. Unlike China itself, which has never been guilty of revising well, history. It's, <laughs> no. It's, no. It's also a movie where, and it's, they're typically fiction. So it's the most ridiculous thing ever. Well, and I guess the, uh, almost everyone was making the same plot, I guess, is one of the reasons. Maybe they were just tired. I guess the, the plot that they have a problem with more than anything is taking the modern Chinaman and sending him <clears> back in time uh, to the olden days of China where his cushy lifestyle can no longer be accommodated and he has to learn to work as a rural peasant. Right, so like the knight in King Arthur's court, basically. But oddly, I feel like that fits in perfectly with the way the Chinese government wants their people to view themselves as cushy people who never had it so good. And right, yeah. It just seems kind of like a bizarre So that's why they ban- they, they're banning... Why- okay, so let me just well, but rephrase. Steve is more, more accurate in saying that they also showed historical figures and events during those movies and took them lightly. Mm. And they, oh. deemed, they deemed that that was, was against... Previous why is such China a such a bunch of... Douchebags. Like, what is up with the Chinese Uh, government? The government, yeah. I mean, there's people in China that are awesome. Well, obviously, I'm not dissing a billion Chinese people, (laughs) but I'm just saying, like, China is always going to be... One blanket statement, one billion people. Just served. God, (laughs) served. China got served. (laughs) They're just, like, banning (laughs) a type of... I mean, and then it's just like... I think China's just getting bored. They're running out of Things to ban. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, They're just uh, running out of things this to week, I think maybe they have their own danger bucket. They're just kind of drawing <laughs> random things to uh, restrict their citizens from doing. The day and we then, shall ban breathing. But then what? on no, the other... <laughs> that, we and, and then you have another communist country who flat out will go kidnap directors, fly them into the country, <laughs> and have them like make movies under duress yeah. for Kim Jong-il that are crazy. And everyone will see some crazy stuff. Watch nor- anything North Korean... Cinema There's a whole library that you can buy about all the stories of King Jong Il and and his ancestors and riding the great whales to the moon. Oh, is it like one of those like the the books that you see advertised on television where they send you the first one for you know keep if you don't like it keep <laughs> it as part of your personal library but we'll send you a new book every month and it's a different Kim Jong Il adventure. Last that would be awesome. <laughs> I want to choose my own King Jong Il. Oh, can I collect yeah. the? Ki- what was the one with the the cards where you collect all the cards and it's like the monarch butterfly and you get it like it was like the animal, oh, right. the jungle 
Remember that? And it was like it was like Animals of the World, and you could collect all the cards, and they, each one yeah, had facts. Yeah, I was part the, of that. I know exactly. Used to get them in the mail. Yeah, yeah. it was life something. I thought yeah. other life other communist leader collector plates have sold for nearly three times this. <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to work like the Kevin Bacon movie club. Where when you watch the movie, <laughs> King Jong Il comes over to your house and sits on the couch with you and talks to you about the movie. Well, since we're awesome. we're on time travel news, do we want to talk yeah. about? There's a lot of time travel news this week. We actually might we've entertained the idea of actually having a time travel segment where every week we'll just go into time, time chat, tra- time travel news. What's up with time travel? As time travelers, the four of us right. who all travel through time at the rate of one second per second, yeah. we're very interested in this phenomenon. We're consistently traveling into the future. True. By way of the present. Yes. Well, this week, uh, was it this week or was it before? Because I've heard about this before, but I think it's official today or at least in the last couple of days that Bill and Ted uh, 3 is on the way. Well, I think it's Keanu that Keanu Fine. Reeves is personally finally talking to about it as opposed to... Um, the other guy. Name. A- the other Alex guy. Winter. Or yeah, Alex it? Winter. Yeah, that's yep. who it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, no one really gave him any credibility, but now I guess Keanu Reeves is coming out and talking about like, it. Like, no, we're movie, doing so. it. So yeah, is he actually not just going to wear a suit and look confused? Is he actually going to do a different role? <laughs> well, what's the yeah? No, no, <laughs> no, but you were talking to me yesterday about the intended, like the the basic jumping off point for the plot. Yeah, and Talk, I, that's pretty cool. I, I, yeah, so so the basic jumping off point for the plot is that the wild stallions, if you recall from Bill and oh, Ted yeah. Two, are kind of given the opportunity, <laughs> right, to, to, to sing and write a song that will save the world, and uh, they imply, I guess, at the end that it's that. Classic rock and roll to you. You know what I'm talking about? Whatever they play yeah, for like yeah, the yeah. last 10 minutes. But I guess it didn't God work. gave rock and roll to you. God gave rock. I thought I it was believe that was Kiss. It's been a long time since I've uh, seen the film. Mistake. But uh, I guess the, the third movie picks up with the fact that it didn't save the world and they're still on the hook for writing the song that will save the world and they can't figure it out no matter how, songs, how many songs they write. Perhaps so, they can write a tribute. To the song that right. saved the world. <laughs> this isn't awesome. the song to save the world. But I guess wow. they have to go back in time and find some sort of musical inspiration. Musical but talent. Everything, it gets hazy from there. That's Are they going to zoom the body of uh, George Carlin for this? Well, yeah. actually, they have already come out and said they absolutely will not be replacing George Carlin. They're not going to Benjamin Button George Carlin's face on no, the, uh, re- the Gollum guy. from the role. Right. So, Andy Serkis plays you know. George Carlin. So Ru- Rufus basically will not be a character. I think they're implying that Rufus is dead in the film as well, and they will not dishonor his memory in any way, shape, or form by trying to recast or bring him back or anything. They so. won't replace him with like um, Chris Rock or some other. Like they're gonna try and find an, a stand-up comic from today to like put in there. That's Rufus like, well, they'll Jr. probably do that. I mean, yeah, they Chris probably Rock. will recast the. I, you know who it's gonna be? Jack Black. Oh, it'll it totally be. be Jack Black. He is the comedian rocker. It's, it's going to be Jack. It has to. Sense. Or it'll be, um, I don't know who else it would be. It's either Chris Rock or Jack Black. Yeah. It's just, it, Hollywood's so predictable now. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Would you even want to see a Bill and Ted 3? Yes. Would I, you would? Yeah, definitely. I'm on the fence. On the fence? I, I feel like rehashing a franchise is never, never works well. After Bogus Journey. I yeah. don't know that. I was oh, even, whoa, whoa, it's Bogus Journey? I always thought it was Bill and Ted's BJ, and so I never went and saw it. I was like, I know how to chance. <laughs> BJ, what? I will say you this about Bill and Ted 2, Bogus Journey, that, and obviously this is what everybody remembers it, but the Grim Reaper was awesome in that movie, and the whole playing Battleship. He was and awesome. All, the rest of the movie, meh, meh. But, yeah. but you know, I, I rewatched it, I think it was on like Showtime yeah. Extreme the other day or something. Which, you know. It's so crazy to me that the original Bill and Ted was 1989, 
yeah. it's been over 20 years. It is, it is ridiculous. Oh, almost 30 years now. I know. Yeah. And Wait. it's crazy. Like if you no, think about it, it's like, well, no, it's no, you're <laughs> right. Yeah, but over 20 and it's like, yeah. that, that's a long time yeah. to then come back to it. I mean, is uh, my question is, will Bill and Ted still be complete morons or will they be like, I mean, did they outgrow their like teenage metal band well, of sort of not. like no they can't waning they're Garth. gonna keep the characters did, but Bi- you know, did bill s preston ever realize his dream of esquire, of esquire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he took the bar and uh, <laughs> he's a successful lawyer you know but that was what actually one of my problems with bill and ted 2 was that uh in bill and ted 1 they're going and picking all these anachronistic people throughout history and putting them together in a modern scenario and they're doofuses and it was funny bill and ted 2 i just thought lost it because it's like all of a sudden there's robot clones and two furry aliens who in the combine amoebically and turn into a big Wookiee and then like yeah the Grim Reaper was funny but it's like what is this bizarre party now you're no longer really has anything to do with time travel did anyone ever watch the animated series or the live action television oh, series oh no I saw one Short-lived. episode of the animated I didn't even know they made a live action. They made a live action show. I did not know about the live action show. I did see the cartoon. Also, they also made a Ferris Bueller's Day Off live action show, which is horrible. No, they did. Yes. Starring who? I don't even know. It was like nobody. The Weird Science live action show actually ran for a long time, though, though. Weird Science. I saw a couple episodes of that. Yeah, that actually ran for quite a while. Another classic 80s movie. Weird Science was. They all seem to involve uh, a lot of blue electricity and lightning. The the key 80s movies. You have Back to the Future, Weird Science. Uh, Bill and Ted. Does anybody remember Misfits of Science, the TV show? No, that's a negative. Not at all. I believe it's. Uh... Anyway, we'll move, we'll move on. It's we'll... awesome. <laughs> Watch it sometime. It's okay. great. Okay. We'll move so on. this just in. Um, apparently, uh, Sidney Lumet, who directed uh, Dog Day Afternoon, Murder on the Orient Express, Serpico Network, uh, Twelve Angry Men, just died. Oh, Sidney Lumet of what? just died. Yeah. He, well, his last film was uh, actually uh, lymphoma. So apparently, he was he was sick. Like, this film was lymphoma. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, don't I didn't even want to make this called. joke. I felt so bad. I was like, the movie. Day. Talk about too soon. No, it was too Ethan. Soon. It was with Ethan Hawke. Uh, it was. You guys didn't see this movie. Uh, lymphoma. I can't remember. Daybreakers. No, no, no. He did a whole film with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, he was eighty six. I mean, it's he was like old. He was it was his last film. No, I know. It's just inter- I mean, the devil made me cry. I don't know. <laughs> something like that. Oh, yeah, I do remember seeing something like yeah, Threat level you. midnight. Or... <laughs> something like that. It was actually okay. It was a little overly dramatic. Dog Day Afternoon is a great movie. I mean, you know. Yeah. It is. It is. Actually, all of his movies Sidney, were pretty... Sidney Lumet is oh. a great director. I thought that was interesting. So, well, so, on a lighter note. On a lighter note, changing uh, changing gears for a second, we have uh, a pretty cool announcement that we've been saving for the for the end of the show. And I if, think if, if anyone's still listening. If anyone's still listening after uh, Operation... Uh, lymphoma or, or threat level midnight or whatever it was um where uh, nick do you want to do you want to talk about the um 48 hour gorilla film competition kickoff party yeah absolutely in the capital of the world <clears throat> new york new york well spoiler alert yeah i'll go ahead and talk <laughs> about it now yeah uh actually yeah um this year we are very excited to announce that for the first time uh we're taking this whole gfc kickoff party thing on the road so we're going to be uh, April 29th in New York City at the Bowery Hotel. We're going to have our kickoff event. We're going to have press. Uh, we're inviting the GFC teams in the New York area or wherever you are to come join us. 
um, food, drinks, music, all that stuff. It's, it's going to be, be awesome. awesome. So hang out with us. With yeah, the absolutely. Uh, close of the Tribeca Film Festival. Yeah, it's in conjunction with the close of the Tribeca Film Festival and sort of the kickoff and opening of ours. And that's the 29th. So that's basically two, two and a half weeks before our actual filming event. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it should be pretty in, cool. We're, we're really excited about it. Super planning mode right now, and we're trying to put all the, you know, uh, um, uh, cross all the T's and dot all the lowercase J's, and and uh, we're we're hoping to have some really good guest uh, people to come speak, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you are in the New York area um, on the 29th and you want to come join us, just contact us on the website, and we'll see what we can do. We are limited on space, um, but yeah, we'll try to get you in. It's Absolutely. actually at the uh, Bowery Ballroom, and I just kind of want to say a few things about our balls. Our balls are always bouncing. Our balls are always full, so get hold of us. And we do have the biggest balls in the mall. <laughs> it's true. It is true. It's an ACDC reference for those of you who are. Yeah. Clueless. We've got big balls. Thanks for explaining the joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, you looked lost. You were, you were like, what did Steve <laughs> just say? <laughs> once, a, once every show now, this is the third time where you just kind of, uh, I can't believe you just said that. Uh, that's all I've got for this week. What about you guys? Anything else you want to talk about or to cover that? Or No, I think we covered some logistics. We covered time travel. We covered, um, you know, those what were it's, the two key points. Yeah, any good day. Yeah, absolutely. Two key points. We always have these weak closes where we sort of like just peter out at the end, and we're like, oh, I guess I don't really have anything else to talk about. That's all, folks. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, tune in uh, next week for the next episode, and hopefully, we'll have some more stuff for you. Uh, if you have any questions, always email those to us, and we'll address them on the show. And uh, we will uh, see you guys then. I look at my watch, it's 3.14 Oh no, not another bathroom to be seen Can't count how many if you know what I mean Can't count how many toilets I've seen Porta potty ladies room and rolls of GP Unwind through my mind making me crazy I know this gig can't really do me no harm But I need to get this freaky watch off of my arm Cause if I see another stall, another bathroom hall I'm bound to go at wall and dial my last call To that nasty mystic dude who had me up all night He told me I'll figure it out when the time is right uh. Cause I'll teleport a potty man That's right Cause I'll teleport a potty man Teleport to lavatories all across the globe I got my watch Like Hefner's got his robe Kicked in the crotch Broken temporal lobe My journey's far out like the Voyager space probe Six cycle that's strange like Michael and that's Jackson If you got questions, don't be asking I don't profess to know the answer to how all this works But let me tell you, teleporting's got its perks When I'm here, I disappear, transport with no fear And if I end up in your stall, don't label me a queer 314 means time to take a quantum piss Hey, Mystic Dude, I think I could get used to this uh. Cause I'll teleport a potty man That's right Cause I'm teleporting party man